0: Yeah, it, it would be crazy to choose this world over eternity. Amen. You know, I've, I was wondering the appropriateness of the video, but as I'm watching that, I will not lose hope. Hope changes everything. The pierced hand of Jesus Christ, the empty tomb, it just really changes everything. And we are so incredibly glad that you are here today. And um, and God was kind of changing things up on me this morning. I knew that and uh, did not know about the prayer time. Um, but I just love the way God just moves and makes it happen. And I'm so excited to be with you today. And I just want to share something. You know, in about three weeks, um, the first weekend in May, I believe it is, it's something really, really big in town called the prom. And it doesn't mean much if you're old like me, you know, it doesn't mean a whole lot. But but each one of us probably at some time, a lot of us went to this thing called prom. And it's just about the biggest party of the year. And, And you prepare for that party a long time ahead. I know already when I was down at the guest house in Vienna, we were talking prom dresses months ago already, you know. It's just like a really big deal. And in fact, often the preparation for the event is more important than the event itself. And so that's kind of what happened today. As I was looking at uh, It Takes a Village, and we were going to talk about a party this morning, Brent, I realized that really the preparation was going to be more important perhaps than the message about the party itself. In fact, I told Dave this morning, as I was asking him to insert some new scriptures, I was telling him, I realized that if we didn't take time today and share what I'm going to share with you today, truth that you have heard many times before, okay, nothing new, all right. The truth is, if you heard many times before, that if we didn't spend time doing this, the party would not mean as much. It's just really important we understand the undergirdment of the party. Now, many of you know the name John Newton. And John Newton was just about the worst infidel there was. He lived back in the 1700s, and he was the captain, in the end, was a captain of a slave ship, known for his cruelty to his crew and to the slaves that he carried. And he'd made a promise to God that God would see him through a particular storm, that he would devote his life. Later on, he remembered that promise and ran smack dab into God's amazing grace. And if you ever wonder, is there any hope for me? If you ever wonder, you know, are you sure, Dwayne, that God's grace can reach me? You just don't understand what my life has been like. History is filled, not with just a John Newton, but history is filled with men and women who I promise you had a lot longer sinless than you did, and God's grace was sufficient. John Newton wrote 26 words. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound, that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I am found, was blind, but now I see. He said of himself, and it's really powerful, I'm going to change one of the words because... I have no idea what it means, and you probably wouldn't either because it's an old word. But John Newton wrote of himself, How industrious is Satan served? I was formerly one of his active under-tempters. And had my influence been equal to my wishes, I would have carried all the human race with me. A common drunkard and debaucher is a petty sinner to what I was. And John Newton said that by himself in 1778. John understood that the only hope for him was amazing grace. And that's what led him to write this incredible hymn based on 25 words. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believed him should not perish but have everlasting life. And I am convinced of this. The better in these days we're living in. The better we understand this thing called amazing grace, the better we're going to be at reaching the world for Jesus Christ. The the more we understand grace, the more passionate we will be about sharing the incredible message. Because I know. Because if, if our experience with Christ boils down to the ability to keep a certain set of rules or to attend church a certain amount of time or write a certain check... Uh, or to, to think a certain way. And when we struggle with those things and we can't forgive and that guilt comes back upon us. Often that kind of Christianity becomes a real burden. And it's hard for us to sell what is a burden to us. But if we really begin to understand the idea that God's unmerited favor has ushered us to his kingdom. And we have to do nothing to keep or gain or maintain his favor. is by God's grace. It's amazing. It's amazing. But here's the deal. That if we understand grace and if we believe grace and if we grasp the understanding of grace then all of a sudden it changes everything. I want to tell you a story about a grace hater and a grace lover and the author of grace. And the author of grace, of course, was Jesus Christ. And and he goes, and this story is recorded in Luke chapter 7 and it kind of parallels what happens in our party story that we're not going to get to. But what happens is is that a, a, a Pharisee invites Jesus to dinner. And while they're sitting there having dinner, um, a prostitute comes in. Okay, now now even in in the culture of today, that's a really negative connotation. And back then it was even larger. And this prostitute walks in quietly. You know, often in those homes, the doors were open, the windows were open. And she walks in and, and she quietly kneels at the feet of Jesus. And she begins to weep and to sob. You might say she loses it. And and she has in her hand this vase of very very expensive um, perfume. Again, we'll probably hit this lesson a little bit later on. But but in the case of Mary, it was it was three hundred denarii. It was it was a year's wage. If you want to do the math, if you make ten bucks an hour working twelve hours a day, which is what they work, it's like thirty six thousand dollars in today's dollars. So it was just a huge extravagant gift in both cases. And and this woman, this prostitute begins to weep over the feet of Jesus. And, and, she, and she takes the vase and opens it, probably breaks it because there weren't lids, and she pours this ointment on the dirty feet of Jesus. now I'll tell you why they're dirty in just a minute. And then she takes her hair and begins to wash, rub the feet of Jesus with her hair and this ointment. And this Pharisee, I think his name was Simon, this Pharisee, you know, says, you know, if he was a true prophet, if he really knew who was touching his feet, then, then he, would not, he would not have her touch him. And, of course, Jesus read his heart. And, and basically Jesus said, Simon, I've got something to say uh, to you. And Simon says, well, say on. And he said, well, here's the deal. You know, our culture demands that when you invite a guest into, his, into your home... You wash his feet. You know, they're dirty because we wear sandals. And and culture demanded that you wash my feet. But but you didn't do that. In fact, Simon, you did none of the normal things that a person would do to show hospitality to me. But this person, this prostitute, comes in and, and she washes my feet with her tears. And she rubs it with her hair, her glory. And he says, while you've done none of these things, this person that you call a sinner has done it all. And then Jesus says what Max Locato has coined as the 747 principle. And this is where our teaching begins. And the 747 principle is found in Luke 747. It says, therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven. That's why she loved much. But the one who is forgiven little, loves little. The 747 principle teaches us that the more we understand how much love God extended to us, then the greater will be our expression of love back to Him. And the more we don't understand that, we will extend that love in a little way. This woman knew she fully understand because every one of her neighbors reminded her that being a prostitute put her at the bottom of the, of the ladder. And when this man named Jesus was willing to extend grace and forgiveness, she was so overwhelmed, she had this extravagant act of love. And Jesus says the reason it's so incredible is it because she understood how much she had been forgiven and responded with this huge, extravagant act of service. Certainly not to end forgiveness because we know the story. That's not it. Simply, she was so overwhelmed with love because what Jesus had done for her, she explodes in this act of love. It's really huge. But then he also says these words. He says, But the one who has forgiven little loves little. In other words, If we don't understand grace, if we don't understand what God's done for us, if we don't understand what an incredible, incredible act of love it was when Jesus died on the cross and took the wrath of God, if we don't fully understand that, if somehow we we minimize that, it minimizes our love and also our service for Jesus. So it's just way important that in these days, Judy, when there are 8 million people lost in Illinois, When 5 billion people in this world had yet to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, it's hugely important that we reach out in a huge way to share this good news. And the motivator that will cause that to happen is not me standing up and badgering you and putting up some guilt trip on you. But if I, as a pastor, and this is the takeaway... If I can help us understand just how much God loves us and how much he's extended his grace to us, that is a huge motivating factor. If you walk out of here today and go, at church, I didn't learn you know, a guilt trip. I learned how much God loves me and how great grace is. That I could do nothing and can do nothing, that it all rests in him. That's a story worth telling to your neighbor. A story about how you get up and go church at 9 o'clock every Sunday morning when you could be sleeping in, that's not a good story. Uh, if your story is about how I miss playing golf today, that's not a good story. But if you, could, if you could understand, let me tell you a story about a God who loved me so much He sent His only begotten Son to a Roman cross. And, and then that, that, that Son became sin and endured the full wrath of God and died and got up on the third day. That's a story worth telling. That's a story worth telling. So I want to share with you, my bottom line is very simple today, is we must understand what grace, what God, through grace, through faith, has done for us. It is just huge. Now, you might be saying, well, Dwayne, I get that, but you don't understand, I'm really not a prostitute. You know, I, I've been a pretty good bad this all my life. I was, I was the guy who was in the nursery and, and, you know, I've gone to church all my life. I trusted Jesus at a young age, really hadn't had the opportunity to do big sins. And so therefore grace, that's probably the greatest danger. The more moral you, moral you are then the greater danger of you forgetting what grace is all about. If you if you've had a big checkered past, you might be again like this woman. You might well remember what grace is all about. But but the better you are, the more moral you are, the more you know you do pretty good at keeping the basic rules of life. Probably the greater danger of you not understanding grace. But here's what I want you to understand: James, and James of course was the half brother of Jesus. James wrote these words. Now listen carefully. This is James two ten. For whoever keeps the entire law, yet Fails in one point. Let me read that part again. Whoever keeps the entire law, yet fails in one point, is guilty of breaking it all. So James, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, included in the Word of God, said basically this. If you're a really good moral person, and you failed one point of the law, it's like you broke all the law. In other words, all of us, on our very, very best day, Man, we're guilty sinners. Come on now. We're we're, we're depraved sinners. I mean, on our best day... I mean, forget the prostitute, adultery, affairs, um, embezzlement, you know, whatever. Forget those white way-out sins. On our best day, according to James, the half-brother of Jesus, he says if we've offended one point of the law, we're guilty of all the law. Now, do you understand why you need grace? I mean, you're not just a little sinner... You're guilty of offending God by the whole law. So that makes all of us pretty big sinners. Would you say amen to that? And that's why grace is important to the most moral person as well as to a lady with a checkered past. Grace is huge. None of us can be justified by our works. In fact, Paul kind of talks about that in Romans chapter 3. Now listen carefully. Pretend like you're hearing all of this for the first time. So Paul says in verse number 9... What then are we, talking about Jews, are we any better? Not at all. For we have previously charged that both Jews and Gentiles are under sin. Now you've got to understand, in, in Paul's thinking, there's two kinds of people: there's Jews and Gentiles. So all of us are charged under sin. He goes on and says, This, as it is written, There is none or no one righteous, not even one. So again, on our best day, whatever it is you count as righteousness, whether it's obeying the word, whether it's praying, whether it's going to church, whether it's right, the Bible says that when it pertains to our salvation, we ain't got nothing. Come on now. We ain't got nothing. There's nothing we can bring to God. There is none righteous, no, not one. You approach God and He says, Okay, so why shall I let you into my heaven? You approach God empty-handed. I don't care how good, how moral, how well you dress. You approach God empty-handed. You ain't got nothing. And you never will. You need to, Listen, you needed grace the day you got saved. And you need grace every day you live. And one day, He's going to give you grace to die. Just like you get him and March, So there is none righteous. No, not one. There's not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. See, it's not even in us to understand this huge concept of who God is. But also, you know, no one naturally seeks after God. See, you're not the bloodhound. The bloodhound is God. You're not on his trail. He's on yours. Come on now, that's a good illustration. He is the hound of heaven, someone once called him. And he seeks to draw men and women and children to himself. Left to ourselves, we don't seek God. God seeks us. There's none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. All have turned away, verse 12. All have turned away. All alike have become useless. There is no one who does what is good, not even one. Now, he's not saying that we can't do good. He's saying we can't do good as it pertains to our relationship with God. We ain't got nothing. And that's every one of us. So so if you've got a real checkered past, I've got good news. There's grace. If you've got a good moral past past. I've got news for you. There's grace. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works. Lest any man should boast. Isn't that powerful? Now listen, I'm telling you, when you begin to understand, because what happens is when we start doing the, the God stuff, when we start writing the checks and we start doing our thing, all of a sudden we somehow get it mixed up and we start saying, I've Earned this I've earned God's no you didn't again you ain't got nothing you say well Dwayne what about the check I write who gives you the check you really think it's you you really think it's you if you're sitting here today and you live in a nice part of town you drive a nice car do you really think it was you no God God it all belongs to him and he administers gifts as he sees fit it's incredible it's incredible, for by grace you have been saved. So to kind of put the, the nail on the coffin, no pun intended. Paul writes to the Ephesians, and this is a verse we used Sunday night. You know, come Sunday night church sometimes. You know, we, we talked about this last Sunday night. Listen to this. And, and you know it. And you were dead in your trespass and sin. Now look at it. Either either you were dead or you are dead. If you're not trusted Christ, you're spiritually dead. But, But if you have trusted Christ, you were spiritually dead. And by that, Paul is saying we were separated from God. You got that? Every one of us, no matter what household you were born in, no matter how moral you were, no matter how bad you were, you are dead. You were were separated from God. You were dead in trespasses and sins. Now, Now, if you ever, no one's been dead in the physical sense, but if you start understanding, well, dead's dead. That's not good. Then you start understanding how important grace is and the impact it should have on our lives even after we're saved. He goes on and says this. In which you previously walked according to the ways of the world. In other words, Paul's saying you used to walk like the world walked. The, the core values of the world. According to the ruler who exercised authority over the lower heaven. The spirit now working into disobedient. You're going, wow, that was me? Yeah, that was you. We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires. We did what the flesh wanted to do. Carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts. And listen to this. And we were by nature children under wrath as the others were also. So if you're today, you're a Christ follower, you need to understand something. You were under the full wrath of God. If you would have died in your sin, you would have experienced the wrath of God in retaliation and payment for your sin. But because of Jesus... That didn't happen. Now watch, watch. David said this and I agree with him. When I showed him this scripture, he said two best words in the Bible. But God. We were dead. We were by nature children of wrath. We walked according to the flesh. We talked about our own flesh desires. All of that. We were dead in trespasses and sin. But God. Someone say amen. amen. But God who is rich in mercy... Because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with the Messiah, even though we were dead in trespasses. You are saved by grace. Yeah, come on. Y'all need to clap for that. But God, who is rich in mercy, even though we were dead in trespasses, by grace, you have been saved. Now, here's the deal. Here's the deal. At this point, we would go to the party. And we would see how that five people and their responses to grace. But instead, I'm going to do one more scripture with you, and then we're going to go home. And I hope you're going to go home different than you came in. I hope you'll go home with amazing grace on your lips. I hope you will go home understanding before you point your finger or cast the rock at your neighbor and say, He is such a debaucher. He is such a pagan. Just remember, I was that too. And you were that too. But you ran smack dab into a wall of grace. And that changed everything. It wasn't like all of a sudden you became super spiritual. You just ran into grace. Amen. Now watch this. This is a scripture that little Dave taught, and I just want to tag on one small thing. This is Romans 12, 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, I urge you, King James, I was raised on King James, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Get that picture As a sacrifice laid on the altar, but not a dead sacrifice, a living sacrifice. A sacrifice that is surrendered to grace, to God. Holy and acceptable to God. Which is your, now I think King James says reasonable service, and that's fine. But the more accurate translation is, which is your spiritual worship. And as we understand grace, Paul is urging this surrender and sacrifice because we have experienced God's grace. And as we understand what God has graced us with, we present our lives as sacrifices and it's our spiritual worship. Now, as I was listening to the Sunday school lesson this morning, which was just incredible, I'm thinking this. I'm going, you know, God has different ways for us. Tim, God has different ways for us to worship. Worship is not just the singing of songs. In fact, that's a minuscule part of worship. If if we had time, let me just give you a a quick overview. And we're still going to get it Wednesday night or, or Sunday two weeks. But, you know, for instance, Martha. You know, Martha served the dinner that day. And she was worshiping Christ as she served dinner that day. Mary, once again, and you would think Mary had the biggest act of worship. I don't think you can do that. Even though hers was beautiful as she, as Mary broke the vial of of the beautiful incense worth what some would say $30,000 in today's dollars. You would say, oh, oh, her worship was the biggest. I'm not sure you can say that. Because Martha's service, her worship, was as God gifted her. Mary's gift and service was as God gifted her. And then you got Simon, who gave the house for the party to take place. He was worshiping in his way. And Lazarus, guess how many words it's recorded in the Bible that Lazarus spoke? Zero. And yet he is the star witness for Jesus. It's because of him that the Jews want to kill him and Jesus because he is the star witness of the resurrection in the sense of, I experienced the power of Christ. I was dead, now I'm alive but he did not, not one thing Lazarus did is recorded besides get up. Not one word is recorded of Lazarus. And yet here he is, the star witness of the power of Jesus Christ. My point? Look at me. Each one of us, Charlie, worship the Christ as God has gifted and graced us. But all of us are called to worship. All of us are called to worship in some ways. All of us are declaring our faith in Christ by our lives and often by our lips. We are called to worship with our giving, our serving, our time, our talents. And the motivation from this preacher is not going to be a guilt trip. The motivation from this pastor is the truth of Scripture. That when we understand what he has done for us through His amazing grace, that is all the motivation we need to live and to serve the one who loves us most. Isn't that incredible? So my bottom line today is real simple. I pray that even though you've heard this story many times, you've heard this truth many times, that my bottom line is that we'll leave here a people determined to show love, our gratitude for His grace, for His sacrifice, For his love. Not motivated by what we can get out of it. But what we can give. What we can give. Would you bow your heads here? First this. I I hope there was enough said this morning in the worship and the prayer time and even now during the message time. That you understand that there's a God who loves you a lot. And, And again, you've got nothing to bring to the table. And that's really good news, by the way. You know, God simply says this. God demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, no self-improvement, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So he extends his invitation. If today in your heart there's something saying, this is what you've been looking for, that might well be the Holy Spirit saying, come to Jesus. It may be God drawing you It may be the hound of heaven seeking you this morning. And my friend, Brother Brent, will be standing down front. And we won't tell you how to be a Baptist this morning. We may, if you want to talk about joining church, that's fine. But we'll talk about Jesus first. This is your opportunity to receive the greatest gift ever. And perhaps you're here today and you've experienced that grace. You know, and there's a chunk of us here today. There's a bunch of us. Amen for that. But can we spend our invitation time just thanking Him? Not for what He's going to do, but for what He's done. Let's thank Him for His amazing, wonderful grace that saved a wretch like me. Because I once was lost, but now I'm found. Twas blind, but now I see. God, thank You so much for these simple incredible truths. But God, we've got to understand them and grasp them. Father, we've been, to use Andy Stanley's word, we've been diluted and polluted. Father, with adding some kind of a favor getter in there, help us just to understand amazing grace. And for my friend who's never experienced it, put that longing in their heart to come to you today. And for all of us who have, let us worship and praise you for what? You have done. And Jesus, I pray this in your precious name.